Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on another episode of H1's Towards Health Podcast. I'm super excited to be here with you today. I am Lisi Feliciano. I lead marketing here at H1, so super excited to be your host um, from Orlando, Florida. You can say hi to our uh, Mickey characters in the back, but we are super excited. We have Ariel Katz our CEO and founder here at H1 with us again. I know, Ariel, you were with us when our Towards Health podcast launched a few months ago. Um, you kind of just got us started. And now we are, I can't believe it, in August. The year is quickly running its course. What, I mean, looking back, any any opening thoughts on how H1 has been faring, sort of your learnings? How do you feel about the year? been a really good year. It's been a crazy year. I feel like over the past few years, they've been different from dealing with COVID to this year, COVID sort of being over, but not really over, but it's basically over and that normal life is back and resumed. Um, I remember the beginning of the year, Omicron hit New York, everyone got COVID and we were back to shelter in place and tests. And now this year's just been completely different since then. So COVID feels like it's over, but then the recession hit, uh, or I don't know what people are calling it economic slowdown hit, war in Ukraine hit, and all those things affect our business. Um, clinical trials shut down across Eastern Europe, which affect our clients. Um, but it's been a really good year and the team's powered through in a lot of ways. So that's how I feel about this year. Yeah, awesome. About the team at H1, how are the employees holding up with all of those changes that you just talked through? I thought you were going to say business is one side, personal is the other side. How's the wife? How's the kids? Uh, <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. So they're good. Um, my son turned one and a half this year, which is a big milestone. And now he's starting to talk. In regards to H1 though, uh, I think it's been different. It's been, um, it's, it's been very different to be an employee for a company over the past few years. So especially this year where things have become more normal. People are getting into the groove. Um, yeah. But then a recession hit and the entire job market yeah. changed um, and dealing with some of those challenges. Um, the team has pushed and prevailed in many ways and delivered, but it's definitely been a challenge and it's just so different getting used to now the new normal of remote and hybrid and how mm -hmm. to connect with people and forming relationships and being connected to a, an organization. It's a lot of challenges that as a leadership team and as employees we're all facing. We're all learning on the job basically yeah. around this. Yeah, it feels like the new normal is that there will never be a new normal, right? Everything is just evolving from one one state to to the next. But I know that a lot of exciting stuff is happening. I'm super stoked about what's going on at H1. Um, you know, I've been in healthcare for a very long time, leading IT and, and looking at how healthcare organizations in general use data and technology. And I've always felt as if healthcare tends to lag um, other industries when it comes to adopting technology, right? When big data was a thing. Um, AI is now all the rage. We understand that it's really able to transform how, you know, 
the healthcare organizations just approach everything from patient care to to um, a number of other areas. What are your thoughts around maybe why healthcare, but maybe more specifically life sciences, tends to maybe lag or or sort of delay in their adoption of things like artificial intelligence and machine learning? Yeah, I, I think there are a few of these are systematic and will continue to be there. So take the biggest pharma company, Pfizer. What's their job? Develop drugs. Um, their job, and that's all they should think of, and, and develop life-saving medicine. Uh, and if they develop life-saving medicine, uh, they're successful. And we all love them for it, just like they did with COVID and they have therapies and all, all different disease conditions and everything. And so that's their number one priority. Their number one priority is not, how do I embed AI into my workflows? Whereas take a technology company, Google, they're a technology company. And so they made the statement, we're going to invest in triple down in AI. And so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Also take Pfizer. They've had huge blockbuster failures in embedding technology. I think they invested like a billion dollars into IBM Watson, which literally delivered no value to them. And they got sold a bag of goods there. Uh, GSK invested over a billion dollars into AI for drug discovery and sort of, sort of also got a bag of goods out of that. Nothing really, no, no substance there. And so I think like uh, those are two main reasons. I, one, that's not their North Star. Two is I don't think they have the internal competencies a lot of time to understand the difference between what is real and what is not real. And then three is super highly regulated. Um, so you naturally need to move silver. There's this natural inertia, inertia baked into the system and the organization, which is in good in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Like you don't want yeah. uh, to have a speedy approval of a drug that's not actually safe. So there's this natural inertia, this and, and that's just like culturally embedded throughout life sciences and healthcare in general. So I'd say those are the three like systematic reasons. Saying that, um, we are starting to see some change and adoption of new technologies. I mean, Pfizer did innovate and did try to experiment with IBM Watson. GSK did experiment. Did they work out? Not really. Uh, but you did see some of those come through. I think we're going to be seeing more and more of those. Just like cloud was the, no one wanted to go from uh, servers in their basement to cloud 10 years ago. Now everyone's on cloud. Now Novartis and Merck and all these companies, right. huge conservative life science organizations, all moved to the cloud. It took 10 years, um, but I think we'll get there too when it comes to some machine learning, NLP, and, and AI for these companies. Yeah. I, no, I, I think those are great points. And I, I agree. I mean, you know, we healthcare may be a little bit slower, but I do see the progress. And I think that's exciting. And I think you you bring up a good, and we'll talk about that in, in, in a moment, um, sort of the change management that goes along with incorporating new technologies. Um, something that I always um, don't forget to process and think about is the fact that healthcare has so much data. And so, you know, applying technology for the sake of applying technology doesn't really mean much, but it's really in the context of all of the data that's being collected. I read somewhere um, a stat that says that healthcare um, is generating about 30% of the world's data volume, which is pretty incredible. Mm. Um, and it's scheduled, you know, to go up to about 36% of the world's data will be generated from healthcare in 2025. So information is everywhere. Um, how, you know, how does that volume and availability of data combined with technology sort of set us up for for a better future here? You know, it's interesting. I'd love to know what percentage of that 30% is unstructured versus structured. 
I bet over 90% wow. is unstructured, unusable, and sitting in silos, and nobody could get access to it. And um, mm -hmm. and I bet a majority of that is doctors writing in notes into the EHR, which they hate doing, and are generally very hard to understand and almost impossible for a machine to understand. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about that. Because when I look at like the data availability in healthcare, maybe 10 years ago, when we started H1 five years ago, it was 96% unstructured. Maybe you're at like 94% unstructured now. And maybe in 10 years, or in five years, it'll be 90% unstructured. Um, that's the real gap. There's, everyone talks about interoperability. Yeah. But the, you just can't get your hands on the data. Um, that's a huge issue. So where... Talk to me about the unstructured, structured a little bit more. So from a life sciences perspective, what's the what type of structured data are they most commonly dealing with? So we know two things really well. If you're a Johnson & Johnson and you tell me, find me every doctor in the world that sees patients that treat patients with HER2 triple, triple negative breast cancer between the ages of 55 and 65 that have a diverse patient population that... Uh, speak Spanish, Russian, English, and German, um, and where they're currently practicing. That would take you either $50 million or three years to answer, and uh, or both. And that is crazy because if you're a patient and you only speak German and you get breast cancer, it shouldn't take you three years and $50 million to get answers to that question. And so that's an example where like the data exists, you could probably piece it together, but that piecing together is crazy. It's so hard. So that's like on the physician side. On the patient side, if uh, you tell me, again, you're Merck now, find me all patients that have non-small cell lung cancer that have, pre that have been smoking for the past 20 years and quit smoking and now have non-small cell lung cancer, uh, but they're using a nebulizer or like um, something for their, and have asthma and use something for their asthma and taking over their drugs. It's like, wow. Good luck. Impossible to find that. But that data actually exists. If you looked at all the everyone's individual doctor record from all the time they go to the doctors, what they purchase, if they've smoked cigarettes, and that's in the doctor's notes, if they're prescribed nebulizer, you can actually find if they've been diagnosed with asthma. That data actually, information actually exists, but it exists in billing systems, hospital records, doctor office visits, right. all in separate places. And to answer that cohesively, so that question could cost $100 million. And Flatiron spent a hundred million dollars trying to answer that question, uh, and they still sort of can't. Then they hired to read those doctors' notes because they couldn't even find it. And so it's uh, it's a very hard question. That's what I mean with unstructured. Well, so that's interesting, and that's a perfect little transition into my next question, which is, you know, we here at H one we recently announced some really exciting um, updates and enhanced. Kind of tell us what are your thoughts on and what's exciting you so much about this next season for us as a company and this product in particular and why it matters. Yes, I'm actually really, really excited about this. Um, HCP Universe is used by life science companies, uh, predominantly medical affairs teams, to educate the right healthcare professionals about the latest therapies, that they're aware of it, and that they follow evidence based medicine. Um, how has this been done before? They would Google people in PubMed or just Google them or clinicaltrials.gov and try to find a doctor who they think is an important doctor to talk to. Um, How is it going to be done with artificial intelligence? Well, we're going to start to personalize it for them. We look at their previous searches. 
We see if they're searching non-small cell lung cancer. We could help suggest to them new healthcare professionals that just moved into their neighborhood that they had no idea about. We could look at what they've searched and bring them notifications about a tweet that was posted about a latest conference post or a publication. And this personalization has never been there before is going to change the way the life science companies know how to engage and who to engage with, with healthcare professionals. So the personalization is just one out of many examples, predictive. We're going to tell you which healthcare professionals will probably not know how to use this drug because they're not adopting new medicine. It's actually really important to know. Just go and talk to them. Teach them. Why is their high efficacy? Why is the safety profile better? Um, and we could predict who, who will have issues around it. Um, and so these are some of the few examples, but it's going to change the way that medical affairs teams, life science companies are able to engage with the right healthcare professionals. Um, it's funny. I put more of the onus on technology companies like H1 than life science organizations. It's like, um, people are people. People want to do things that, uh, make their lives easier. They make them look smarter. They do well at their job. They get promoted They make more money. If we could give someone a superpower, uh, most people will take that superpower. Some people will say that superpower is evil. Uh, but most people will take that superpower and use it to their advantages. Um, and the onus is on us to give someone a superpower. Um, and generally when that happens, uh, most people want to use it. Um, that's my, that's been my experience with it. Uh, so I think that, I think the onus is more on us. And once you do that, people are people, people will notice something that's amazing. They think we'll give them a superpower that they didn't have before. The last thing I'll say about life science companies super aggressive, super competitive, um, more than many other industries that I've worked with. And that's a good thing when it comes to uh, adopting innovations. Um, if I told them I could help get their clinical trial to market two years quicker, that is worth like, depending on the drug, billions of dollars. And if I could prove to them that it worked, uh, they will use it. Uh, basically, if it's not dangerous or, and it's legal, but they will most probably use it. And so if we could show them that the cheese is actually really tasteful, once it's on this corner of the table, they'll want to they'll, they'll eat the cheese.
So what I was, the, the ideal is that it leads to a business outcome that you care about. And so for clinical trials, the business outcome that you would care about, what we focus on, is helping increase the number of diverse patients that are enrolled in a clinical trial. It's a business outcome. It's good for the world. It's good for patients. It's good for everything. Uh, and if a company can help you do that, you should probably listen. Uh, and then the, the same, another one is uh, help you find doctors that are going to run successful clinical trials, recruit patients on time at the, and patients that fit your eligibility criteria super critical business outcome. If someone can do that quicker, better, faster, great thing. And so I would really tie a lot of things to business outcomes. Uh, the cheaper way to do it is by, are people using the products and technology? That's fine, but it's more of an input. The real output you want to know is like, are they, is it making an impact on your business and the world? And so for medical affairs teams, are you seeing that the education is leading to more guideline adherence? Um, that's a huge deal. That means more patients get treated properly. And so that, that I would focus a lot on the business outcomes rather than just the technology for the sake of technology. That's great. I think that's a great way to sort of wrap up the conversation. Thank you, Ariel. We have so much stuff going on here at H1. I'm really excited. And thanks to the audience for listening and tuning in and make sure you catch the next one and we'll see you later.